Hey everyone, this is Tim Harris. I'm the pastor of Woodburn Baptist Church and this is our weekly podcast. Hope it encourages you. Hope it makes you want to be closer to Jesus and more like him. Hope you enjoy this sermon. And if you want to know more about us, find us online at woodburnbaptist.org. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Y'all good? My name is Tim Harris, pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Church. It's been a good day in the Lord's house today. We've baptized three, uh, had a family join in the 930 service, have a live goat in all the services. Uh, you, you know you're in a, in a, in a redneck church uh, with live, live goats. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. I want to resume the sermon series I began way back at the beginning of the year. Do you remember that? Uh, best year ever is what we promised, 2023. That was back at the 1st of January. Um, and some of you are thinking, are we still doing that? I, I mean, most of us are ready for change for about the first 20 minutes of the new year. But it's like the end of January now. It's almost February. And most of us are over it. We're in it now. You know, you've already had RSV and COVID and flu and, uh, and you've just given up on this year being any kind of good year. But uh, I want to call you back to the possibility and promise of the Lord. This can still be a very different kind of year for you. But if you're going to have a different kind of year, you got to do something different. I keep saying this. I'm going to keep saying it until it sinks in to your noggin. If you keep doing what you're doing, what? You will keep getting what you're getting. There's no surprise. This isn't really even smart to say. It's just obvious. If you keep doing what you're doing, you'll keep getting what you're getting. And if you want something different out of your spiritual life, out of your relational life, your family, your school, your work, if you want something different, you've got to be different. You've got to allow the Holy Spirit to make the changes in you that he longs to make. You've got to surrender to what he wants to bring new into your life. You have to embrace change. If this is going to be your best year ever, and I believe it can be, you really have to be willing to let the Lord have his way with you. I've been giving you five steps, five choices, whatever you want to call them, uh, as, uh, as we move toward making these changes. The first one is obvious. You're going to do this first. You're going to submit to God's purpose for your life. We talked about that from the very beginning. It's not about you. It's not about you living your dream for your life. It's about you finding God's dream for your life, God's purpose, and submitting yourself completely to that. Number two, you're going to do this every day. got to deny yourself. Of all of the steps I'm giving you, this one I think is the hardest for many of us because we are such children of our culture. And our culture tells us everywhere we turn that, that we are supposed to express ourselves, find our true selves, tell the world who we are, be our authentic self. And I'm telling you, none of that is true. None of that is, is, is God's plan for your life. You don't find yourself by looking for yourself. You find yourself by surrendering to Jesus. If you want to know who you are, find out who Jesus is and he'll tell you who you are. I'm crucified with Christ. It's not I who live, it's Christ who lives in me, the scripture says. You gotta deny yourself. Number three, you gotta try something new. We said that two weeks ago, right? You gotta accept new challenges. You got to begin new habits. And we talked about how to have that change, you have to embrace that change. You have to try something new. Now today, number four, say it together. Try something impossible. That's about what I thought y'all would say about that too. Try something impossible. 
We serve a great big God. We serve a God for whom all things are possible. If you are following a God who does impossible things, you're gonna begin to see impossible things happen in your life. God is a God for whom all things are possible. Try something impossible. I know, and I'm looking at y'all, and, and, and some of you are thinking, Pastor Tim, I believe what you're saying is true. I do believe that somebody's probably gonna have the best year ever. I'm just probably not gonna be me, right? Is that, is that the way your brain works? Or Pastor Tim, probably somebody in this house is gonna do something impossible, but it's, it's probably not gonna be me. If most of us are honest, we don't see ourselves doing impossible things because we struggle so much with the things that are possible. Like we're not setting the world on fire doing possible things. That's not even to mention impossible things. Uh, some of us think that way. Uh, some of you, you ever just feel like that person, that, like, like, like things that work for other people don't work for you? Um, like technology, some of you are that technology. My, my wife's like this. Uh, are you the person, like if you sit down in a chair, you can crash the computer. You don't have to touch it. You just, you, you crash it. Or like everybody else, you know, like everybody's had iPhones now for, you know, what? 20 years, you know, so you, you got your iPhone like everybody else, but it doesn't, like your phone doesn't work like everybody else's phone. Everybody else is watching movies, you know, and, uh, and they're TikToking and doing fun things and talking about everything they saw on Instagram. And last week with your phone, you took 39 pictures of the inside of your purse, <laughs> you know, and you didn't even know you had a camera. I mean, you know, that, that that's, that's how that works. Everybody else is, you know, ordering groceries and calling themselves up an Uber, listening to music, you know, and the only impressive thing you have done is give your social security number to a Nigerian prince <laughs> on Facebook. Yeah, I know. Um, it may work for other people. It doesn't seem to work for you. The problem comes when we begin to think that that, that same thing is true in the spiritual realm, that other people have this relationship with God that you're never gonna have. They pray and God listens. Uh, they see miracles and blessings just raining down and uh, none of it works that way for you. Uh, so you're thinking, Pastor Tim, somebody's probably gonna have the best year ever, but it's not gonna be me. Or somebody may do something impossible for God, but uh, it's not gonna be me. Oh, ye of little faith. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, starting verse 14. Mark chapter 9, verse 14. Right now, what I want to do is just arrange this collision of you and your ordinary life with God, an extraordinary God who does impossible things. I can't wait to see what happens when your life collides with this amazing God that we serve. And we read about it in Mark chapter 9, verse 14. You're there? If you're there, say there. All right, let's read it. Mark chapter 9, verse 14. When they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them, and some teachers of religious law were arguing with them. When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe, and they ran to greet him. What is all this arguing about, Jesus asked. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He's possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever this spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. 
So they brought the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion and he fell to the ground writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening, Jesus asked the boy's father, and he replied, since he was a little boy. The spirit often throws him into the fire or into the water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean if I can? Jesus asks, anything is possible if a person believes. Father instantly cried out, I, I, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak. He said, I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as people said, he's dead. Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet and he stood up. Afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? And Jesus replied, this kind can be cast out only by prayer. I don't know exactly how your brain works when you read the Bible, uh, but when I read this passage, I instantly connect it with the story that comes before it, the, the beginning of Mark chapter 9. If your Bible's still open, what happens right before this story? What's in Mark chapter 9? The big story comes first, and that's the story of what? Yeah, the, the transfiguration. The transfiguration is that amazing story where Jesus takes three of his disciples. Now, how many disciples did Jesus have? 12, but he takes three, and those three are, in this story, Peter, James, and John. He takes Peter, James, and John up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and there, those three, they are allowed to see Jesus transfigured. In other words, it's not that they're seeing Jesus like he wasn't, they're seeing Jesus as he was, I mean, with all of his glory. It wasn't that he wasn't always glorious, but his glory wasn't always visible. But in this moment, they see him, they see him, his glory. They see him transfigured and it is overwhelming and amazing. At the same time, Moses and Elijah appear and they all just start talking and Peter, James, and John are overwhelmed. Peter wants to build houses and everybody just live there. James and John, Peter, they fall on their faces. They worship. It's glorious. Peter, James, and John with Jesus up in the clouds in glory. Meanwhile, we got nine other disciples down here on the ground fighting the devil. Now, like I said, I don't know how your brain works, but my brain works. I'm just thinking I'd be one of those nine. I mean, you know, like if Jesus is picking out people to take up on the mountain in clouds of glory, it'd be some of y'all. And I'd be stuck down here, you know, with the kid that foams at the mouth. You know, that's kind of how my life goes. And, and there's part of me that just thinks, man, you know, I, why does it work that way? You know, it goes back to what I said earlier, that sometimes we feel like other people's spiritual life is that. They're up in the clouds of glory all the time with Jesus. And we're down here with all hell breaking loose, you know, and why is that? Other people, it seems like their spiritual lives just catch fire and they burn and they blaze with glory and happiness. And we're down here rubbing two sticks together, you know, just trying to find a spark of anything. 
And nobody really talks about this. The way in which most of us, if not all of us, somehow feel like other people are experiencing something with Jesus that Jesus isn't sharing with us. So out of the 12 disciples, nine are on the ground fighting the devil while Jesus and the other three are up in the clouds of glory. And and it does not go well. Why do they fail? I mean, that's the first question. Why do these nine disciples fail in doing what they're supposed to do? I mean, the father brings his son. His son is suffering. So you know the father is suffering. Brings his son, supposed to be to Jesus, but he doesn't find Jesus. Instead, he finds the nine disciples. And, and, and so they try to cast out the demon. Now, I want you to understand, if you've read the Gospel of Mark, I assume most of you have, in the early part of the Gospel of Mark, it's clear that Jesus gives all the disciples power to cast out evil spirits. And they've been doing this. Like, read the Gospel of Mark. They've been doing this. This, in some ways, has become routine for them because Jesus gave them power and commissioned them to go out into the world and do his work with his power, and that's what they've been doing. So in this moment, it's not even strange that they would attempt to do this because they've been doing this all day long for a long time. This is right up their alley. It's the kind of thing that they've been doing in their sleep. But all of a sudden, this father brings his son with this evil spirit. They try to do what they've already been doing, and this time they can't do it. It it doesn't work. They fail, and they look like idiots. All they tried to do was something for Jesus, and they end up looking like fools. And that's your fear, isn't it? Like right there, like some of you right now are thinking, Pastor Tim, if you, if you think you're talking to me to try something impossible, you, you picked the wrong passage. Because honestly, this passage sort of illustrates what most of us fear. That we're gonna step out there and try to do something big for God and, and we're gonna look like fools. We're gonna attempt a miracle, right? We're gonna step out and do something in God's power, but then God don't show up and then we're just out there. We take a leap of faith and we just take a fly and fall into our face. You know what I'm saying? That's our fear. We don't wanna fail, especially fail publicly. These men fail publicly. They're embarrassed, they're humiliated. Some of you have been there. You've tried to serve the Lord and it didn't work out. It may work out for other people, but not for you. Like, like, let's say, you know, sometime you, you thought God wanted you to teach Sunday school, so you took on a class of third grade boys on the very first Sunday, you know, they pants you, they ran your pants up the flagpole, and you come out of there like, what happened, you know, and you think, well, you know, why do I try, you know? Or, or you think maybe, man, I, I want to be on the worship team, so you, you sing, you know, in worship, and you go home, and you watch the service back alive, and you think, I sound like that? Like, that's not how you sounded in your head, but like on Facebook, all of a sudden, like, that's how I sound. I am never doing that again. Y'all know what I'm talking about? That's our fear. We're going to try something impossible, and it turns out, you know, that may work for other people, but God apparently doesn't have anything impossible planned for me and you. Y'all know what I'm saying? I'm just trying to be honest. They failed. All they're trying to do is something for Jesus, and they failed. Now, why? I think it's probably a, a complicated question, but, but first off, I think we need to just sort of understand how, how this works here. We're talking about the life of faith, right? So what exactly does that mean? When I say try something impossible, what comes into your mind? 
Because some of you, like, you turn on, you think, oh, my goodness, something impossible. I'm going to be a swimsuit model. I'm going to be a ballerina. You know? I know the Bible says that anything's possible, but mm, I think if God wanted some of y'all to be swimsuit models, it would happened, you know, before now. <laughs> you know? But that's the thing. When we think about trying something impossible, that immediately becomes about us. Like in our heads, or, or like what we're saying is, I'm gonna do something, I'm gonna do something big for God. But what we mean is, I want God to do something big for me. And that's not what we're talking about. This is not about you. Do you remember from the very beginning, what are you gonna do first? You're gonna submit yourself to God's purpose for your life, which means it's not about you becoming something. It's not about you being something. It's about you denying yourself and letting God's purposes you know, be fulfilled in your life. It's not about you becoming famous. It's not about you becoming somehow in a spotlight. Now understand, when we say try something impossible, we're talking about God's will for your life. It's true, God can do all things, but I'm telling you, there's some things God's not gonna do because God has his own plan and God has his own purposes and God can do anything that he wants to do, but he is not gonna do everything you say and everything you want. See, understand, you can make requests of God, but you may not make demands, and there's a whole lot of us that think that's how faith works, that, that if I have enough faith, I can step out there and I can say, you know, whatever I want and God's going to do it. As if faith is some means of manipulating God. You know, if I have enough faith, you know, then he's going to bring me a spouse. If I have enough faith, he's going to pay my bills. If I have enough faith, I'll get a new car. I mean, we just begin to think that, you know, we can make, you know, demands of God. And, and this is how that works. When God doesn't meet our demands, then we get mad. And we give up on faith. Uh, understand, I don't know how to say this any plainer. It's God's will, not your will, that must be done. It's God's will that must be done. So when I say try something impossible, I'm telling you to step into God's will, step into his purpose, and that may seem impossible to you. It may scare you to death, but I'm telling you, if God is in it, you step in there. Wherever he is, that's the safest place in the world for you. You just go with him even if it seems impossible, but that doesn't mean that you're calling the shots. That's not how faith works. I can't tell you how many times I meet people in the community who for whatever reason, man, they have given up on faith, given up on God. Now, the primary reason is usually got to do with us. It kind of reminds me of this story where the father says, yeah, I brought my son so you could heal him but you weren't in the office, and so I got, you know, your nine disciples here who couldn't do it, you know? I'm just saying, it's probably a bad sign for the church when people think less of Jesus after encountering us. And just to be honest, lots of times the people in the world who might come to Jesus, the problem with that is they've already met us. And they tell themselves that that's what the gospel is, if that's what church is, if that's what the life of faith is, I don't want anything to do with it. I'm just saying, they meet the nine disciples and all of a sudden, that, you know, whew, that, that, that they wanted Jesus. And make sure when they meet us that they're seeing Jesus, you know, but like I say, it's, it's, just, it's just too many people who uh, just get mad at God because God didn't do what they wanted God to do. 
I mean, I hear it. I hear it probably every week from somebody who's just telling me why they don't come to church or why they're not going to serve. And it always comes down to that, man. I prayed that God would heal my grandma and my grandma died. And so, you know, I'm done with faith and prayer. God took Nana. She's 100. You know? So let me just help you understand simply how this works. You ask why God doesn't do what you want him to do while all the time, God's asking why you don't do what he wants you to do. I don't understand. This is how it works. You serve him. He doesn't serve you. He's the master. You're the servant. He's the Lord. Understand, you're the disciple. He's the teacher. This isn't about you manipulating him. This isn't about you using prayer or faith or somebody getting some kind of leverage. Yeah, of course, th these guys know what God can do. They've had the power to cast out demons. They've cast out demons, but this time they step out and it doesn't work because understand, I mean, understand, you're not entitled to a miracle. You may have seen all kinds of miracles. You may pray and you may believe, but I'm telling you, God doesn't owe you anything. Whatever he gives us is grace, it's a gift. If you've got life, if you've got today, if you've got breath in your lungs, I'm telling you, that's more than you deserve. So how do you get off getting mad because God didn't give you your miracle? We're not entitled to miracles. And so the nine disciples on this particular day, they don't get their miracle. They don't understand that necessarily. I'm telling you, it, 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 it all blows up. The religious you know, fanatics come in, the Pharisees, the scribes, man, they take this as an opportunity to pounce. Disciples are arguing with them. This poor father and his son are on the side. And Jesus comes down and says, what is this about? One of them in the crowd spoke up and said, teacher, um, I brought my son so you could heal him. Asked their disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they, they couldn't do it. Why couldn't they do it? Why, why couldn't they do it? Verse 19, Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Okay, who's he talking to? You faithless people. Who's he talking to? He's, he's talking to his disciples. He's talking to his disciples, you faithless people. So why weren't they able to do it? Is Jesus saying that they didn't have faith? Verse 29, Jesus replied, you know, this kind can only come out by prayer, prayer and fasting, prayer. What's Jesus saying? What is it that the disciples don't have? Because if you tell me they don't have faith, then I probably need a new definition of what faith is because they seem to me like men of faith. These disciples are the same disciples that left everything to follow Jesus. If you're saying they need to believe, they believe. They believed enough to leave their homes, they left their families, they left their jobs, they left everything, and now they're just following Jesus. And, and they believe enough that when Jesus says, hey, go out and heal the sick and cast out demons, they'll go out and they will try those things. They've been doing all of those things. So you, if, if you tell me they don't believe, I'm, I'm going to struggle because they really do seem like people who have some belief. They, they seem like men with some faith. So, what does Jesus mean? Because he says, you faithless people. In that sense, it's almost like he says, 
that when it comes to faith, they're indistinguishable from the world, from the people who don't follow him. And I struggle with that because these guys have left everything to follow him. What is Jesus saying? What, what, what is faith? I think it's connected to what Jesus says at the end when he says this kind is only cast out by prayer. See, this is the thing. You and I struggle because we have a very uh, childish, uh, simplistic, kind of false idea of what faith is, many of us, I think. Because we think that faith is just like belief, like, like having a whole lot of belief, a lot of confidence in our head. Like we've, we've understood and we, we believe it now, and so we say yes to it. And then for some of us, when it comes to faith, we think that faith is a lot like positive thinking. Like if I can just have enough faith, if I have enough faith, then God will do great things for me. God doesn't do great things for me, so I must not have enough faith. As if you just had to sort of work up this positive thinking, kind of like the little engine that could. I think I can, I think I can. Because that's what you think faith is. If you just believe it, then you can receive it, and you think that faith works that way, but that's not the way faith works. If that's the way faith worked, then these men would have been able to deliver this boy from the demon. It must be something different. It must be something more than just, I think I can, I think I can. I promise you it's more than that. One day as a kid, I was watching Gilligan's Island, as we all did, and uh, watching that episode where Gilligan is dreaming and Mary Ann becomes Mary Poppins and she flies through the courtroom on an umbrella. You needed to watch TV back in the day when it was good, y'all. So Mary Ann flies through an umbrella and I'm thinking, that looks like fun. I'm going to do that. I'm going to fly with an umbrella. Now, basically, I know it's impossible, but I'm a kid who goes to church. So I decided, now, I know that that's just a show, but I believe that if I believe, it, if I pray, I think God will let me fly with an umbrella. So I prayed, and I got an umbrella, and I went to the barn. And I climbed up to the very top of the barn. It's a true story, y'all. And I believed, I can't tell y'all how much I believed, I believed. I said one more prayer, but I wasn't even scared. That's how, that's how much I believed I was, I was about to fly. I believed I was gonna fly. So I said one more prayer, I stepped off the barn, and what did I do? I fell so hard. It's a wonder, seriously, it's a wonder I didn't break every bone in my body. That umbrella, floop, folded up, and boom, and I fell. Now, you cannot say I didn't believe. I stepped out of the barn, y'all. I mean, I stepped, out, I stepped off the top of the barn with an umbrella. I'm a true believer and an idiot. Because <laughs> that's not what faith is. That's not how faith works. That's like magic. That's like magical thinking. If I just believe it, if I have a good umbrella, you know. Obviously, it's something else. I, I think that when the word uses the word faith, I think most of us would do better if we interpreted that more like the way we use the word faithfulness. You gotta have faithfulness. Because it's more than just this momentary you know, belief or this positive thinking. It's, uh, faith is a living, everyday relationship with a God who has amazing power and love for us. It's, a, it's an everyday relationship. When Jesus says, this kind only comes by prayer, I don't think Jesus means, now boys, 
There's a prayer I forgot to teach y'all. There's a, there's a big prayer. There's a magic prayer. And y'all prayed the wrong prayer. But if you had the right prayer, you could have prayed the right prayer. And just like Harry Potter, you know, you would've, it would have worked with the right. No, no. Jesus isn't saying you guys just didn't have the right prayer. No, no. Jesus is talking about a life of prayer. You have to go deeper and, and, and richer into a relationship with God. If you want God's power, if you want more of God's power in your life, you've got to have more of God in your life. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's, it's a life. It's, it's an everyday relationship. It's not just one magic prayer. It's a, it's a life of prayer in which you become acquainted with the God and you begin to know his ways and trust his power. I'm telling you, that's where the power comes from. It comes from prayer. It comes from a life of faithfulness. Prayer and fasting, Jesus says. It's a life of discipline, a life of seeking, a life of walking with him. So uh, back to the Father. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father, and the man said, since he was a little boy, spirit throws him into the fire, you know, he just tries to kill him, foams at the mouth and rolls on the ground. Just need you to have mercy on us and help us if you can. Did you catch that? If you can. Like, he, did not, he did not just look at Jesus and say, if you can. Oh, yes, he did. <laughs> he did. He looked Jesus square in the eyes and said, if you can, ooh, that can't go, this can't go well now. You can't come at Jesus with iffy faith, if you can. And Jesus answers him, verse 23, what do you mean if I can? You think that's how, what kind of tone do you imagine there? What, what do you, what do you, if I, that you did not just, you did not just say if, you did not just say if to me. Don't you know I'm Jesus? You did not. No, you did not just say if. No, I don't think this is a rebuke. It's not a rebuke at all. What do you mean if I can? Jesus asked. Anything is possible for a person who believes it. He doesn't get a rebuke. He gets a promise. Anything is possible. Wow. For the person who believes. So what's the man say next? Verse 24, this father, honestly, in my life, I've known this story since I was a little boy. Um, this man is my champion of faith right here. Because this is kind of the way my faith is, just to be really honest. Jesus says everything is possible for the person who believes. And what's a man say? Well, I believe. I believe. I believe. Also, I don't. But I do. But I kind of don't. But I also do. I do believe. But I don't sometimes. But I do. You know what I mean? He says, Lord, I believe. But you're going to have to help my unbelief. I believe, but I've got unbelief too. And you're the only one who can fix that. You know? I love that. I, I love that iffy faith because lots of times my faith is kind of iffy and, and I love that he's just able to say I, 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 I've got faith but I've also got fear and doubt and unbelief and uh, you've got to help me with that you know man I love this father 
and I love Jesus. Because as it turns out, you know, how does Jesus respond to the person who has iffy faith? How does Jesus respond to the guy who says, I believe, also I don't, but I do. Unless I don't, but I do, you know. Um, how does Jesus respond to that kind of faith? Well, this man gets his miracle, you know, he gets his son healed. So what's the lesson for us? I, I, I think it's kind of simple. You start with Jesus where you are and you go with the faith you have. So Pastor Tim, I don't have enough faith. You know, I mean, I've seen people, my grandma had faith and I, I, know, I know preachers who've had faith, but I don't, I, don't, I don't have that kind of faith. Well, you've got some faith. You got some faith. How much faith does it take? I mean, we always sort of put all the emphasis on we got to have enough faith, but Jesus doesn't put the emphasis on the amount of faith. As a matter of fact, Jesus says all it takes is what? A mustard seed, like a smidge. You just got to have a smidge, just a mustard seed of faith. Now, I'm telling you, lots of times I have a mustard seed of faith and I got a watermelon of doubt. But I'm telling you, what I've discovered is every single time, the mustard seed of faith will overwhelm the watermelon of doubt every single time. Because it's not about how much faith you have, it's what you put your faith in, who you put your faith in. Now, if you put your faith in yourself and your ability to have faith and your ability to think positive and not to doubt, I'm telling you, you're gonna fail. You will fail. Because it's not about faith in yourself, it's not in you. It's not in you at all. And it's not about putting faith in faith. Some people think of it like magic. It's just, you know, it's the kind of person that says, you know, Pastor Tim, I, I have tried prayer and prayer works. What does that even mean? Prayer doesn't work. God works in response to people who pray. But it's not like prayer is, is just magic incantations that, that move things around. It's not magical. It's not faith in faith. It's not positive thinking. You put your faith in Jesus. You start with Jesus where you are and you go with the faith you have. I promise you it's enough. You take the faith you have, give that to Jesus, it's enough. Start with Jesus where you are, go with the faith you have, and then here we go. Take a leap of faith for the sake of what God might do. So Pastor Tim, I think that's a typo. You said might. I did. Because I don't really always know what God will do. I don't know. I don't know what God will do. God's ways are not my ways. His thoughts are not my thoughts. And sometimes what I think ought to happen, God's got something else in store. And I do not want to be in a situation where God starts letting me call the shots. I am stupid. I don't know. You know, so when you pray, go ahead and ask. Jesus says, ask, seek, and knock. Ask for whatever. But, but in my own prayer life, well, I, think, I think you just need to learn to say, God, you know, this is what I want. Please give me this or something better. Or something better. Because he's not going to give you something worse. You know? Whatever God gives, it's going to be something better. Because you don't even know what to ask for. You don't know what's possible. You don't sit where he sits. You don't know what he knows. Trust him. Take a leap of faith for the sake of what God might do. I don't know what God will do, but I never doubt what he can do. He can do all things. He can do impossible things. I never doubt that. But when I step out and pray for an impossible thing, I don't know what God will do. Understand, believing is not the same as knowing. I don't know. 
But, but faith lets me take the leap anyway. Faith lets me trust him and trust that whatever he does is gonna be good. It's gonna be better. It's gonna be perfect. God knows what he's doing. And God knows what he's doing with you. Trust him. It will require some kind of leap, I promise, because he didn't bring you into this life you know, just so you can eat beans out of the can and watch Wheel of Fortune. He's got something, he's got a plan for you, a purpose for you. Don't you want to find it? Don't you want to know what it is? I promise you, when you begin to get an idea of what he's calling you to do, it'll probably scare you to death. You'll think, I can't do that. I can't do that. And, and of course, you're correct. You can't do that. But you're not going to do it on your own. If he's calling you into it, he wants to empower you. As a pastor, one of my biggest struggles is just to, to try to find words to help you understand that you could walk in so much more power. You could walk in so much more victory. You could walk in such a different kind of life. If only you'd trust him. Take a leap. Some of you know exactly what he's calling you to do. You know good and well that your address is Warren County, but God wants you somewhere else. God's called you to missions. Why aren't you there? Take a leap. It's hard sometimes to connect the dots from where you are and where God wants you to be, but just trust him. Take the leap. Some of you right now, you're in a job, and you know a long time ago, God put his hand on you and called you into ministry. You know you belong in ministry, but now you're at the bank, and it's really hard for you to figure out how to, how to connect the dots from where you are to where God wants you to be, but you just got to take that leap. If you need to quit one job, if you need to sell the house, if you need to end the relationship, whatever you need to do, take that leap, that leap of faith. I don't know what God will do, but I never, ever doubt what he can do, and you begin to trust him to do big things, he's going to do big things through you when you trust him. Pray with me.